Welcome back to the Movie Movies. This is our podcast discussing 25 of our favourite movies from any given decade. And this is our 92nd episode of the to- podcast in total. And we are discussing movies from the 1980s. Matthew, how are you today? As we launch into a discussion of Raising Arizona. I reckon I'm good. Um, yeah, I, I'm good. It's early. Uh, I don't feel incredible, but we're going to be talking about a good fun film, so that will cure what ails me, I'm sure. Oh, I'm I'm punchy today. Okay. <laughs> we are getting me a on, lot of late nights on, on LFF. I have done a movie starting at 9pm or later, four nights in a row this week. Yeah, that's the uh, didn't make stuff. Didn't make it home till 1am this morning, so I am... Yeah. And I'm running on fumes. I did yeah. three movies yesterday. Having uh, having worked the the Cambridge Film Festival, it, it's days that you know in the in the lead up, you're working like a nine to five ish kind of thing, you know, getting stuff ready. And then when it's actually the time, your days are like I don't know, three p.m. till one a.m. something yep. like that. And it was just so much running around. And I'm and, and I'm yeah. just doing this as like a as a bystander. Yeah. I'm just watching the goddamn movies. Yeah. So I, I I can't complain, but it's just one of those things where I'm like, I haven't had a day like I had I booked off mm. yesterday to do the three movies that we were doing and mm. then but we said that the first movie was at twelve o'clock so we didn't even have time to like have a proper lie in and relax or anything like that. So yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't watching many of them. I mean, you know, you, you find some time here and there, taking a movie, reward yourself. But for me, it was a lot of... Um, I had a little team of, of people and we one of us had to sort of skate in at the end to... I don't know if it's... I assume it's similar. As many as possible, we had some form of Q&A afterwards. So there's been no Q&As, oh. but, there's been, but there's been like little introductions okay. from people before the movie starts. So Yeah, I did those as well. Um, yeah, so so we've had like people for every single movie, apart from The Whale yesterday, right. because we did like a, a matinee screening that wasn't the gala screening, but we've oh, had okay. like Park Chan-wook for Decision to Leave. We've nice. had the Mark Mylod and the writer for The Menu. We had um, Jesse Buckley, Sarah Polly. Mm. Like Claire Foy, Ben Wishaw for Women Talking, yeah. had the the director for Triangle of Sadness. We nice. had the director for Bardo, and we had Tilda Swinton and the director for Eternal Daughter. So it's been it's been good, but it's just <laughs> one of those things where like I mean, Triangle of Sadness was insufferable because the director was like, "We're going to do audience participation, and I want you to like laugh and cry and like walk out the theater." And it was like you you've got a two and a half hour movie, dude, and it's starting at half past nine. <laughs> Like London, London public transport does run past midnight on Fridays, but this is a goddamn Tuesday, <laughs> and a lot of these, and a lot of the people here are not living in London, and they got yeah, yeah, yeah. trains to catch. Absolutely, in two minds about sharing this. Um, at one point, Tilda Swinton was the Wi-Fi password for the building that hosts the CFF because uh, she'd she'd visited like four times or something like that, <laughs> so she was a big favourite. No, but I had to like we we had the Q and A's afterwards, so I had to skirt in and like plug into the soundboard and check the levels, and then if it was interesting, I'd actually sit there and listen to it. So it's like the latest movies. If you're thinking they finish at like midnight ish, then you have to tack on however long after that, and then get it back and upload it, and then you get to go home. Yeah, I definitely chose to stay for the panel featuring the head of Channel Four Comedy, um, the creator of. Peep show and I guess now succession and uh, <laughs> David Mitchell and Robert Webb definitely stayed for that one and sat like ten feet from their table. I'm just checking uh, levels for fifteen straight minutes <laughs> or half an hour or however long they went. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Anyway, yeah, we're it's, not it's, at film festival. <laughs> we're not at film festival. It's just where my brain's been at. I watched this movie 
on a on a train on Sunday because <laughs> I well no oh, I, I started I started watching it Saturday evening at my parents' house yeah um I got about half an hour in and was like I am exhausted yeah. I am going to bed and then I had to watch the rest of it on a train so you get like just past the point where they've actually taken the baby and then yeah. you're like okay. <laughs> Pretty much, pretty <laughs> okay. much. I this this has been a very bifurcated week for me. Um, oh dear. Well, yes, we are not in Cambridge. We are not in London. We are in Tempe, Arizona, for some incredible accent work from an incredible group of actors. I I love everyone in this movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, I. You know what I'm so happy about? What we're discussing multiple Holly Hunter episodes now. Yeah. This this mini series, yeah. and she is an actor who I adore. Yes. Um, like I regretting more and more every day that I didn't push to put the piano on mm. on the nineties list. But, oh, uh, we got so many regrets, but I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. But like, just just Holly Hunter is a fucking star, and it's mm. probably one of the biggest kind of like failures of Hollywood that there just aren't roles for her anymore. I know, fucked up. Like like the fact that her, the last movie she was in was Incredibles two. I know. Yeah, and then. And I then mean, in... even that should give her some sort of like comeback thing. Well, but the but... thing is, like 2019, you know what mm. show she's on? What? Succession. True. <laughs> the, the hottest, most popular show in television that all yeah. the movie stars want to be on. Yep. And obviously, she, since then, she's done lots of TV. Like she was on Mr. Mayor and all the rest of it. And she obviously had like the HBO miniseries here and now. But it's just one of those things where like, I look at it and I go, like, you should not happen to be slopping away on a recurring role in Succession. <laughs> <laughs> like we should have movies for you holly hunter i love that she did succession i think she was great in season two i think it's probably like part of why season two is the best season of that show but it's just a sad set uh, a sad state of affairs for hollywood that like an actress of i mean what she's she's not even that old is she she's she's 64 years old and can't get yeah. movie work in the same way instead she's drinking fucking jesse eisenberg's piss <laughs> I forget about that all the time um, and then people try and claim that Zack Snyder is an artist anyway, you know, Henry Cavill's back uh, spo- spoilers uh, so maybe they're all coming back did she die in that movie? did she I mean, get I mean, blown up? The movie, the movie is luckily out by the time that this comes sure. oh yeah, she got blown up and yeah, then Superman walks out and it's like, okay. is Superman a terrorist? He doesn't walk out. He just stays standing there and like looks at the ground like, oh, man, while it blows up around him. <laughs> it's super fucked up. Not my Superman. Anyway, uh, yeah. If only they hadn't lead-lined the guy's wheelchair to prevent Superman from knowing. <laughs> Dumb fucking movie. Um, <laughs> and that's the one people like. Oh, no, wait, that's BVS. Sorry, I'm thinking of Man of Steel. That's the one people like. I guess I guess what? The Witcher wasn't paying him enough and nothing else was coming calling. But, yeah. Back he goes. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're discussing 1987's Raising Arizona, directed by one credited director, but in actuality <laughs> directed by what the most famous brother, brother, brother pairing in, in Hollywood, I think. Let's go with that. I can't think of anyone else who would, would overtake them as Ridley a... Ridley and a, Tony a, Scott. <laughs> yeah, but they've never directed a movie together. No, the oh, Saf- absolutely. The, Saf- yeah. the Safdie brothers aren't there yet. No. I mean, maybe the Marx brothers? I guess historically, yes. Yeah. But did they did they direct or did they just do? I do not know. Uh, no, but they did not direct Duck Soup. Yeah, so I'm going to go with the Coen Brothers are what like the most famous brother brother pairing in Hollywood. Obviously, Ethan for a good long while was only credited as the screenwriter and producer on a lot of the movies. But obviously, I think later on in their career they started like coming back together. But now it seems like they've actually split apart as a directing pair. Mm. Um, they've both got movies in the work, but the other one also. So Tragedy of Macbeth obviously doesn't have. 
Ethan involved and Ethan is now directing a movie after everyone was saying that Ethan just doesn't have interest in movies anymore. So it's all whether or not there's a falling out or it's just they've gotten to a point where it's like, we've worked for 40 years together. Yeah. Let's let's do some other stuff. I, um, yeah. And, I, I st- everyone openly knows that they direct every movie together and it's super fucked up that officially only one of them ever gets there. Like, God, however many I think they, it, 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 st- <laughs> it started out... I'm trying to see like when the first time that they both got credited together was, because I think it was in the 2000s. So they, they did lax that rule, but, like, Joel is so credited through, like, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Yeah, like, in, to- in like, Lady Killers is the first movie where they're both credited on it, so I don't know if there was a laxing of the Academy ruling or, oh, okay. or whatever I around I was still then. in play, but... Never mind. Yeah, no, they were both credited on No Country for Old Men, which we have previously discussed this yes. podcast. Uh, did Fargo in the 90s? Yeah, so this is the third time that we're discussing the Coen brothers on the podcast. We're like, Fargo, mm. uh, Fargo, No Country for Old Men. Uh, we didn't do anything for the 2010s, which I think is a soft off decade for them, even though I, I love Inside I like, Llewellyn Davis. I like True Grit plenty fine. Grit, you like Grit's Inside Llewellyn Davis. Yeah, I mean, I... I less interested in Hail Caesar I hear Ballad of Buster Scruggs is mixed <laughs> it, it's it's fine it's like a bunch of short stories and some of them yeah. are like better than the other ones yeah. it's, but it's also like it's one of those things where like it was developed as a TV show for Netflix and right, then right, right. and then comes to how it does but oh, this is their second movie yes we're not, discuss- <laughs> we're not discussing Blood Simple yeah. but I think this is kind of the movie that cements them as being really flexible in terms of what their genres are going to be where it's like you basically alternate between really really gritty crime movies or you get something that's a lot lighter and a lot more comedic or you get a Fargo which is kind of mixing the two of those together and like so you end up with this kind of like it's almost like what like every other movie is kind of like this where you have like well I guess like you have Fargo then you go Big Lebowski then you go Brother Where Art That where it's like two very big kind of broad comedy movies that have got mm. moments of darkness or whatever to them like it, it's not really until like No Country for Old Men where they make a pure really dark movie in the same way that they were doing in their their kind of the early run of Blood Simple and Miller's Crossing and whatnot. Yeah, to a degree. Even in the in the serious ones, there are still Cohenisms. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just extraordinary bouts of coincidence and and like not quite Rube Goldberg machines, but you know, just stuff happens that that results in someone getting hit in the head. You know, like it <laughs> it is is blending that like incredible chance, coincidence, fate, dumb luck shit. They love a like philosopher wandering philosopher assassin hitman bounty hunter whatever you want it to be <laughs> you know they love that kind of shit it's just yeah, someone yeah. who feels not of this world who has wandered through the movie to fuck everything up a deep deep commitment to ridiculous names um, oh yes i, I adore them for that. <laughs> but also this movie feels like so this is released in 1987 as we said at the yeah. top of this episode this feels like the one that feels most of a piece with their kind of, I'm going to call it a trilogy. It's mm-hmm. their trilogy of Raimi movies, even though this right. is the one that doesn't have Raimi involved in it. Because obviously in the 80s, Joel, Ethan, Sam Raimi, Holly Hunter, Francis McDormand, and bizarrely Kathy Bates all live together. <laughs> no. <laughs> that break, I that don't accept it. I, you already told me, but I don't accept it. That was the thing that happened. 
it's it's much like the house that had like Rob Pattinson and Andrew Garfield and Jamie Dornan and stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's just like, imagine if that you one makes up, a lot more sense to me. They're like it, going for the same roles, coming up together, kind of. Thing. But it's just funny that like I think they were living together at the time that Pattinson had Twilight. So just imagine Pattinson like hooks up with someone and brings them home, and then inside just chilling, like sat on the sofa eating cereal at like three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Is like. Garfield and, and um, his no Charlie name Cox. loser friends, and then oh yeah, Charlie Cox was one as well, yeah. Yeah, and then eventually it was like, oh shit, that guy I hooked up with years ago, his <laughs> besties with fucking Fifty Shades Man or whatever you wanna, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> oh, dear. Weird, but yeah, like this household lived together. I think it was like when they moved to LA from from where they moved to because they're, they're both Midwest people. I think. Oh, but yeah. I shocking. <laughs> But like, and this, there's kind of the three movies, or there's two movies that they worked on together, which is Hudson Proxy and Crime Wave. And Crime Wave is like one of Raimi's weakest movies, and Hudson Proxy is a movie that I will like stick up for as like a a hidden gem in the in the Coen Brothers like filmography. And obviously, Sam Raimi directed the the the, the Hulu being seen in that movie. <laughs> And this is the third movie in their filmographies that references Hudsucker, because Hudsucker is the prison yes. in this movie. No, sorry, not Hudsucker is the prison. Um, Hudsucker is uh, like the on the name of one of the companies yeah. that that uh, High is working for early on in this movie. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's a little t- kind of trilogy of these movies, and they all feel very much of a piece because they're all kind of really big, broad comedy films. Yeah. Um, in a big, in a, in a lot of ways, and Crime Wave doesn't nail the tone in the way that this one does but then i think this one is so plot light like there is really not much going on in this movie it's literally they steal a baby and then everyone wants to take the baby yep. like every, but this baby is like supernatural and that everyone falls in love with this baby the moment they like set eyes on it and wants mm-hmm. to like take it away forever and then that's basically just the what happens in the movie <laughs> yep yep <laughs> Uh, but then in between all of that is some of the most kind of like inventive, fun, balls to the walls, kind of like Looney Tunes-esque physical and like camera comedy that you'll see in a movie this side of whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like all of the like... The, the, the POV sh- shots of the, yeah. of, of the of the of Bounty Hunter of like the scene where he like comes up to the house where mm-hmm. the... Um, God, what's his name? Where the, the Arizona's Nathan live. Arizona. Uh, yeah, and it's like flipping over like the little push bike in the yeah. in the hallway. Up the ladder, is... all the yeah. yeah, 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 and like even some like almost uncomfortably close camera work when you've got like high tidying up the house and like you know he's like shoving a Playboy under the mattress or or a hustle whatever it is. Like to keep that camera tight to the actors and like swing with their movements, kind of thing. Lots of that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, like a weird amount of good camera work for ostensibly just a dumb comedy like a like a, uh, not quite screwball but you know it it, <laughs> it feels have... a, a kind of comedy that has vanished from the world <laughs> yes absolutely like again we 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 discussed this previously where we we live in a world in which an awful lot of the comedy movies nowadays are improv heavy mm-hmm. let's let the actors riff shoot a load of coverage and we'll pick the takes and the jokes that we think are the most interesting yeah direction has vanished from the comedy movie like there's mm-hmm. no pretense that somebody is trying to make a real ass movie it is purely just 
a lot of them are still like heavily written but then that writing gets turned into like heavy improv on set and it's just like a hangout movie it's like producers are directing the movies basically um, yeah like no shade at Judd Apatow but like that, that man is not a director really like <laughs> I think he's his movies are a little bit better than the others but he obviously popularized the style that kind of yeah got in the way of an awful lot of of what was going to happen and so like you've got other directors who maybe aren't quite as good as it and it's not not to say that there aren't flourishes in all of those movies but like it i just i i think he has no interest in in crafting interesting shots and doing interesting camera i work. don't i don't think he's bad as like a kevin smith who is like a director who genuinely is like a point and shoot dialogue i was director. gonna say the I, I think kevin smith's a better director than john apatow anyway uh, they're both I, like, God, I watched good. i watched like clerks three the other day and that <laughs> i know you like... did but like i refuse to watch anything kevin smith made after a certain point so i get to live in a <laughs> In a world where he was a vaguely good director, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a lot of that onto Barry Sonnenfeld, who did the yeah. cinematography for this movie. Yeah. He worked with the Coens. I think it's it's the three times he does Blood Simple, he does Raising Arizona, he does Miller's Crossing, and I have to assume his camera work on all three of those movies was just so good that yeah. they gave him a movie. And obviously, his career is mixed to say the least. But I do think his '90s run is mm. kind of like unimpeachable up until. He does Wild Wild West, but it's kind of like Adam's family, <laughs> <He> of, <laughs> Adam's family values, get shorty men in black. Yeah. And then he's the one who finally gets the John Peters giant mechanical spider with Wild Wild West. Yeah. And after that, it's just bad. But even then, like he did like most of the episodes of a series of unfortunate events. He did Pushing mm-hmm. Daisies. Like he's he's still like working. And obviously they still let him do this stuff, but he's sadly gone back to television. I feel like Pushing so, Daisies is like a massive critical like darling. <laughs> <laughs> like, not enough people watch Pushing Daisies. Kind not enough people watch Pushing Daisies. It got cancelled because the writer's strike. They literally gave it a full order for its second season of 22 yeah. episodes. And then the writer's strike happened. And they were like, yeah, you get 13. And so they had to do like a CGI makeshift ending dot monologue or whatever. And they were like, we're doing some comics. And then the comics never came. Uh, yeah, I'm sad. But no. that isn't this movie. Yeah, no. Barry, Sonnenfeld, Barry Sonnenfeld cinematography, fucking great on this movie. Yeah. Like, it, this feels like. It's so interesting to think, in, like, especially when you compare it to Raimi, who I think is unavoidable when you're comparing it to the Coens, where mm. his first movie is Evil Dead, which is scrappy, low budget, and like entirely a work of some of some filmmakers who are literally just going like, let's go sit in the woods for a couple of weeks and make a movie, and we'll see whether or not it's good. And obviously, at the end of the day, it's a good movie. And then he gets completely subsumed by the studio system when making his second big broad comedy movie that's got some interesting visual flourishes, but just doesn't hang together all that well. And then you compare it to this movie where, again, the Coen brothers make a cheap $1.5 million like in, like neo-noir crime movie with like their friends and like their roommates and stuff like that. And then their second movie is considerably bigger at $5.5 million for the budget. But it, it kind of gets to nail its tone. And I don't know if that's because, like, they may be working with better actors than than Raimi was for his second movie. Like, he wasn't allowed to cast Bruce Campbell for a second movie and managed to sneak him in in a supporting role. But, like, when you are basing a movie around Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter, you, you just have this great foundation, especially if you get to do one of the rare Cage movies where Cage is not completely maximalist in the way that he's working. I mean, there are a couple of scenes where he begins to wander off. In that direction. There, there are, there are. Like, it's undeniable that they are only just harnessing Cage. He's remarkably the- subdued by his own standards, yes. Um, it's when his boss 
floats the idea of swinging. I think that entire conversation, his accent, just it it want it, you know it goes way past what he was going for in the rest of it. And there's that one particular line read where like, oh god, it it's like a completely innocuous line. He's like, I don't particularly think that's, and then he like gets cut off, but like he just launches into it at like. It's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> dial it back. That's not high. That is, like, some parody of high that you're doing there. But, yeah, for the most part, he keeps it reined in. And, like, he has this, like, you know, it's so reductive. But, like, almost my name is early and, like, laid back, like, simpleton philosopher type spirit <laughs> to him throughout the movie. He is the calming influence for the most part. His, his manic, depressive wife uh, is having to be, like, consoled by him, the the repeat bank robber, uh, not bank robber, the repeat convenience store robber. We are going to have to talk about his robberies in a bit. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's a really fun performance for him. He just gets to kind of smile a lot and, and talk in this accent and occasionally throw in, like, some fancy fancy folk talk and, uh, yeah, just, just have a time and, and be a nice calm family man as much as he can be so we don't we normally if you listen to a <laughs> podcast you know that we do little bits of context around the movies and stuff like that but we're waiting all our context onto the next two movies we're doing because we're doing three movies in 1987 matthew has come to the table with a game yes the edit will prove how good of a game this is however uh when describing loosely the plot of this movie to my partner who's not seen it or heard of it um they said that doesn't sound like a Nicolas Cage movie. To which I replied, I don't think there is such a thing as not a Nicolas Cage movie. Um, which Ben agrees with. And so I took it upon myself <laughs> to find the most nitpicky, like, elaborate list of film genres. <laughs> and I think we can probably find every single one of them has been done by Nicolas Cage. I, I think the exception will be Western. I don't think he's ever done one. In terms of the broad strokes, because, I mean, if we go really broad, we've got action, obviously, yes, many, many times. Animation, yes, uh, most famously Spider-Verse. So, so you say this, I think Nicolas Cage is a Western that's coming out this year. Oh, fantastic. Is it? Is it the old way? It's the old way. do. It's made by Saban Films. Oh, Our wow. Favorite. Our, favorite. Our favorite. Good old time Saban, conning people. <laughs> Into his great profit. I do not um, think this is going to be one of Nick Cage's like big movies. This is going to be one of his. That's fine. One... He just churns them out and like. Oh, he's he's ultimate like Redbox director now. And then every so often he'll do something which like breaks through, and you'll yeah. be like, everyone's kind of going, like, "Pig <laughs> fucking rules!" Like, is, they made is Massive big. Talent good? I've not seen Massive oh, Talent. Okay. I enjoy Pig. Pig. I'm not on the like Pig. Like he should have got an Oscar nomination <laughs> okay. for Pig Train that a lot of people are. But like you look at it, and I'm like, I mean, I'm not also a big fan of Mandy, but I can appreciate what that is. Yeah. So yeah, like every so often he gets a movie where people get like really, really into it, and then and then you look at the movies that he does in between that movie and what the next one is, and you're like, oh, you you still need to, a lot of money. <laughs> but for whatever for whatever reasons. Oh, he buys money. um like trailer bites and stuff. Famously, he goes to like auctions and like, oh, I can't remember who it was. One of the staff of Futurama or something was like trying to buy a trailer bite, and Nicolas Cage was just sitting at the back of this auction, not bidding on anything. And then it got to like 
trilobites and fossils and shit, and he just was fucking buying everything. <laughs> so I guess he's got an expensive fossil habit. I was going to say, like, he's a he's a director who, like, when he's producing it, you kind of figure it's going to be a good movie. Um, and then I looked at what he's produced in the last three movies. It's Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. <laughs> it's Pig. And then it's Willy's Wonderland, which is the closest thing we're going to get to a Five Nights at Freddy movie until that Five Nights at Freddy movie finally happens. But it's basically... Man goes to haunted pizzeria, like, <laughs> like Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. Okay, uh, he produced Vengeance, a love story before that, and then took a break from producing The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Bangkok yeah, well, Dangerous. What, Next, what if we? What if The Wicker Man? We... <sighs> Maybe he doesn't produce good movies. <laughs> right, go on. What, Lord what, of War. What, uh, what, what genres have you got for me? Right, so sorry. I mean, you know, we way. know we know the broad ones. We know action. We know comedy. You know, drama, fantasy. I was like, this is not specific enough. I need these to get incredibly. Um, I'm not going to do every one of these because there's like a oh, fucking hundred. But if I just skim through a little bit, so action is broken up into. Weirdly, they start with heroic bloodshed, which they give examples. Basically, they're all Hong Kong cinema. So I might just. I mean. I don't know if Port Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans would count as heroic bloodshed, but I feel I kind of I wish this list of movies had the directors next to them because I'm yeah. sure he's done like a movie with like that's Bangkok someone. Dangerous. That's a comedy though, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I maybe we failed immediately, but espionage has he done a spy movie? Oh, Nicholas Cage spy movie. I mean, can we include Werewolf Women of the SS? Where he plays Fu Manchu in the Grindhouse trailer. Yes. Yeah, okay, cool. It's a role he took on. <laughs> espionage might be one of the more difficult ones. You could loosely say that National Treasure gets into elements of espionage, if you wanted to be generous. I, I have to, I think, I think the Paul Schrader movie, Dying of the Light, mm. is kind of like espionage. He's, he's like a CIA agent. Cool, I'll take it. Um, we're going to skip Wusha, because that's unfair. <laughs> I would pay... Triple figures to see Nicolas Cage in a Wusha movie doing wire work, probably. Disaster movie, yes, obviously. Yes. Uh, knowing, I guess, was that. Yes, uh, adventure, yeah, I mean, National Treasure, I'm willing to say it's an advent- action-adventure movie. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like it, it's a modern day, a modern day uh, Indiana Jones movie, except it's the less good one compared to The Mummy. Yep, uh, superhero, Ghost Rider, uh, Kick-Ass, was gonna be fucking Hillbilly Superman. He's, he's fucking, he's Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, that's animation. So. He's Spider-Man Noir, and he's Superman in Teen Titans Go. Yeah. To- uh, animation, you know, we... Yeah. I mean, they are breaking animation down into, like, stop-motion, claymation, cut-out, puppetry, all of this. I'm willing he's to done t- He's say- done Teen Titans, he's done Spider-Man, he's done The Croods, he's done yeah. He's done lots of animation. Yeah, I'm willing to give him that. Right, comedy. Action comedy. Is that not what Massive Talent is? There is action in Massive Talent, I believe. Yes. Uh, plus, there must be more here. Um... Nobody can surely believe Con Con Air was a straight <laughs> straight action movie. Dark comedy, yeah, plenty of them. Uh, yes, I would say probably his wheelhouse to be honest. Uh, romantic comedy, I'm, I'm willing to say yes. I can't think say, is of Peggy Sue going, Is Peggy Sue like a romantic comedy? I've, mm, I mean, the next one was like buddy comedy, and I'd say that's more like Peggy Sue. Yeah, true. There must be a rom-com in here, surely. Yes, he, do, he did It Could Happen to You in 1994 with Bridget Fonda. Done. Buddy comedy, I mean, you could call Peggy Sue that. Um, you could call Massive Talent that, I suppose. Yeah, you could call Kick-Ass that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rogue... Call this a buddy comedy, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, him and Ed, him and the, 
him in the snows. Road comedy. Drive angry, I assume, is not that. <laughs> not on purpose. He doesn't really leave the local area in Raising Arizona. No. How far do they travel in Wild at Heart? <laughs> is my question. The question for the ages. I don't think there is one. Ah, uh, okay. Right. Well, maybe maybe he needs to do a road comedy then. But he does need to do a road comedy. Ah, uh, slapstick. Oh, I mean, this is this is almost slapstick yep, points, isn't I would it? Say like, the fight with um, with Gale, that's slapstick. Yeah, but it's breaking everything in the in the double wide. He hasn't done he hasn't done a pure slapstick movie, but then I don't think there are many actors no. in the in, who are working nowadays who you could say have ever done a slapstick movie. This is true, and I'm more looking at like what is his range, and I think it is unlimited. <laughs> yes. Not necessarily in a good way, but like, yeah, uh, parody. Might be more difficult. I mean, stuff I think, that feels I, like parody, absolutely. Is is massive talent sort of? I mean, there's paro is parodying his career. Mm. I guess you could you could say because I mean we're then getting into like spoof, which is kind of the same. We, we have parody, goes, spoof, and satire, which I think are Teen all... Titans is also that as well, sort of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I assume his Superman performance. I mean, to an extent, his Spider-Man noir performance is kind of like a a little. You know, he he's riffing on old timey movies. Um, you know, his his partner speech there. I, it seems like he's having a way. He is also time. he is also in Grindhouse. Yep, crime. Hmm. <laughs> crime capers. Cage ever done a crime movie? Mm. <laughs> now this. Now I would call it a crime caper to steal a baby. <laughs> so I think it's, I think it's, it's a Is it arguably a heist? National Treasure is a heist. National Treasure is a heist. Done. Gangster movie. Harder. I could see him being in one if he's not. Like so again if he, if he hasn't he, done it. I have to assume he's done one in like probably his like really trash era. I'm seeing Rage pop up as like his director DVD 2014 movie that no one has Ooh. seen. <laughs> Over the next 20 years Paul who is who is played by Nicolas Cage slowly builds his legitimate construction empire in Mobile, Alabama. That sounds like gangster shit. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Uh, cop movie, yes. Uh, Port- <laughs> Bad Lieutenant Porter Call New Orleans. One yes. of the most confusingly titled movies I've ever heard in my life. Is there even a previous Bad Lieutenant movie? Yes, there is. Oh, okay. It is not related to this one at all. Oh, fantastic. But Port of, Port of Call New Orleans is like such a clumsy sequence of words to okay, not right. be separated here, here by is, a colon. Here is, what, here is what the Wikipedia article says. Though the film's title and story loosely resemble that of Abel Ferrara's 1992 movie Blood Lieutenant, according to Herzog, it is neither a sequel nor a remake. Its only commonality is a corrupt policeman as the central character. Nonetheless, the director of the original Blood Lieutenant film, Abe Ferrara, expressed dismay that the Herzog film was being made. Both it is a one Herzog movie, isn't it? Yeah, Jesus Christ. The Nicolas Cage of directors, surely. Um, detective, I mean, is basically a cop movie. Oh, I feel he's been a detective, surely. I mean, he's Oh, yeah, he's, de- he's been a detective. I'm not he's a detective in Gone in 60 Seconds, I think. Oh, no, he's the fucking, he's the fucking guy. That's a heist movie. There you go. Detective, sure. Uh, I don't think he's been in a courtroom drama. I would <laughs> desperately like to see him try to play a lawyer. Less than I want to see him do um, wire work in a Wuxia movie. He but... is in Seeking Justice. Fantastic. No, he's an English. He's an English teacher in that though, not a. Um... <sighs> mm. And it's an action thriller, not a crime movie. He doesn't do lawyers. Okay, all right. We'll Wait, add that to. <laughs> one second. I type in Nicholas Cage lawyer. <laughs> oh, number no. one is number one is Seeking Justice. Okay. Which, as I said, is an action movie. Number two is The Family Man. Number three is Nicholas Cage will not face criminal charges. Says lawyer. <laughs> Wonderful. What's he? 2000, done? 2011. 
will not face criminal charges over arrest last month in New Orleans. Uh, was booked to multiple charges after an argument with his wife. He was freed in an 11 grand bond. He was too busy being the bad lieutenant. <laughs> uh, he was too busy on his one, two, ghost rider. Third, third marriage. Okay, fair enough. Um, right, we are now into drama. Teen drama is too difficult. He, I mean, if you want to be very generous that Fast Times has dramatic elements, he is technically in Fast Times at Richmond High. But, I mean, he wasn't working much as a teenager, so I don't... That one feels unfair. That was him That was him, 100% coasting off of the Coppola name. Yes. And obviously he dropped, Coppola, the Coppola, yes. he dropped the Coppola name like, immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. Melodrama, which... Moonstruck? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that. Philosophical drama which is a bit of a wit like the cited examples of razor's edge and i heart huckabees which i i mean i don't know <laughs> if I mean, i'm wild, willing to maybe, call that maybe wild maybe wild at heart could be included in that i mean it's david mm. lynch so you'd almost immediately put it into an exploration of the human condition and drama is derived from the questions that are presented by mere existence and life itself okay maybe, definition. Yeah, maybe i mean i think that's all david lynch movies yes I'll give you that <laughs> political drama. No, we would. We if he hasn't done like lawyer movies and stuff like that, it's probably yeah. politics and some of them. But it's it's definitely not his like. There's not enough guns in a political drama. <laughs> he does like a gun. Religious drama. Wicker Man. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll give you that. Experimental, which is encapsulated Man- by surrealists and absurdists. I would just Mandy. say that. Well, yeah, Mandy, massive talent. Adaptation. Any uh, adaptation, absolutely, certainly. I would say literally anything Nicolas Cage is in gets a bit of an absurdist bent on it anyway. Fantasy, contemporary versus high versus dark versus... So he's yeah. only Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah. Which is kind of both. Kind of, yeah. Season of the Witch. He did the Sorcerer's Apprentice and Seasons of the Witch back to back, which is like yeah. modern day and then also like proper cool. old, old school fantasy. I will give you that. Biopic or biography. Uh, he's so in just, Snowden. Um, he's in he's in World Trade Center as well. Okay, and he plays John McLaughlin. I was going to say I'm going to scroll down this list and see when he plays like a real character and who's got hyperlinks. And it's like, ah <laughs> uh, yes, Jacob Marley in Christmas Carol the movie, uh, Charlie Kaufman, <laughs> and then of course well known historical figure Johnny Blaze slash Ghost Rider. Incredible. Um, Doctor Tenma from Astro Boy. Yeah, yeah. Period piece slash historical fiction. I mean, is Captain Corelli based on anything true? No, it's not. Oh, a shame. Sadly, sadly. Um, should, I mean, we, we you... all know we all know that National Treasure Book of Secrets is based on the real life historical events. Yes, of course. Oh, he's never just like played like one of the founding fathers or something. I mean, shit. I mean, World Trade Center <laughs> yeah. is historical, historical, even if it's only fiction, even if it's only five epic. years after. Yeah. It's it's Oliver Stone as well, which gives it a big boost. He also played Vincent Dwyer in the Cotton Club. Okay. Which uh, obviously isn't like as historical as this is saying, but it's still like it's it's the nineteen thirties being made in the nineteen eighties, so there's a fifty year Yeah. I know you're looking for kind of like colonial era America yeah, kind of thing. I can see him doing it like perfectly. So if he hasn't, he should. Okay, horror, I mean Mandy. Yeah. I mean they're breaking this down into ways that I wouldn't call these subgenres, but like ghost monster, werewolf, vampire. <laughs> Occult slash. I mean, now I'm like, okay, a slasher movie. I'll give you that. Yeah, slasher movie is slasher movie is a genre. Ghost is not a genre of horror no. movie. It's Zombie, I might villain. give you, um, or vampire, but I'm not giving you ghost. I would, I would give you like haunted house over ghost. I think. Okay. Yeah. Like, if you did All like right. a haunted, if you did like a haunted house movie, I'm like, yeah, that's a genre of horror movie. Um, he did a vampire movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 
Um, not a werewolf one, but I mean that's that's so specific. A slasher. I mean, I mean, actually, yes, I guess you could count Willy's Wonderland as a slasher. <laughs> Except, like, if Nicolas uh, Cage, yeah. if Nicolas Cage is in a slasher movie, then he is going to have one up on what the slasher is going to be. Like, you can't put him in a movie and like either he is the person <laughs> who is doing the slashing, or he is going to take out the person who does the slashing. Yeah, he has that um, Tom Cruise thing going on. Found... Bra- he breaks that genre of movie. Yeah, found footage horror. I don't think we should. That's for people who are coming up. No one there good are, does one of those, like, surely. There's like three of those in the exactly. world as well. No, like, no one good does one either. It's Blair Witch, it's Paranormal Activity, and then it's like, I mean, Host, they've, I guess. They've but... gone for VHS, you know, with the slashes in between. V slash H slash S. Why would um, you go VHS and not Wreck? I don't, like... look, I don't know. Romantic drama. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, romantic thriller, I mean... That's, basically, that's basically the same thing. Yes, I do. Period romance, Captain Corelli. Captain Corelli. Um, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic sci-fi. Uh, the Wicker Man. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I think there's so many of these things. Is the knowing post-apocalyptic, or is it just apocalyptic? Mm, one interesting question. <laughs> and technically, uh, technically, it's very pre-apocalyptic, but yeah. Yeah. dystopian slash utopian sci-fi. I mean, I don't not, think he, he doesn't really do really. future. He doesn't really do future shit, does he? Doesn't like Nicholas like Nicholas Cage doesn't feel like an actor who would go to the future. Mm. Oh, and thinking of gangster movies, um, Snake Eyes, I guess, kind of a little yes. bit, a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to say the word steampunk, space opera. He doesn't really do space shit. Contemporary sci-fi, yeah, he's not really a sci-fi guy, but you do have knowing, um, and I feel he does. Like... He does them on occasion, but normally they have to be movies that will uh, allow him to be dramatic leading man and like a hero yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, God, here we go. Psychological thriller, yes, yeah. Film noir, I mean, Spider-Man noir. <laughs> he is Spider-Man noir. I think that one hundred percent counts. Uh, we agree, he's not done a western. Well, no, barely done a western. He is doing a western. Yes, he's not been in a musical that I know of. No, nothing. There's no songs in the Croods. He's curious about doing a musical. It said in April nineteen, April nineteenth of this year. Wonderful stuff. So there uh, might be a musical on the way. <laughs> War movie, yes. Look, the point is, Nicolas Cage can do literally anything, and if he hasn't done it, he should. The do issue it. is Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage will subsume a movie when you put him in it nowadays, yes. which is why he's kind of like, and obviously it's a very different circumstance to to Bruce Willis, who near the end of his career was doing these movies because he was being forced into bad business deals and was basically mm-hmm. accepting all these all this shit that's come out very very recently. Nicolas Cage is doing it because he wants money and it feels like there's only a specific kind of movie that he can do and every so often someone comes along and knows how to use him or like proposes how to use him in like a movie that's going to go mainstream and he's good in it and game it's just he has reached a point in his career where he wants to be working constantly which means the quality of the movie he's doing decreases because he is he is just someone who who cannot unless you were doing a very specific vision fit cleanly into what your movie is going to be like you watch kick-ass which obviously at this point is like 12 years old at this point and that is a movie in which he's doing an adam west impression in kick-ass like with mm. the way that he does like the vocal delivery and stuff like that Child. and it's such a it's such a bizarre take on the character <laughs> but it really totally works on screen and i have to assume there's so many act- there's so many directors who are watching him like audition or are like going like he's too big he's too broad and he just can't 
tamp it down to what we need this mm. movie to be, which is why he isn't working with big directors. But then someone will come along with a Mandy or a Pig, which just requires him to be still big or still Nicolas Cage, but like you just weaponize it in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, late submission to the fantasy considerings of Nicolas Cage, City of Angels, in which he plays an angel who falls in love with Meg Ryan and wants to be human to be with her. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. stuff. Let's talk Raising Arizona. Sorry, Let's talk Raising though. Arizona. A long ass time into this record. I, we'll see how much that gets cut down. Um, so, yeah, we'll be lots of editing to make that shorter. Um, but long ass time before we get our title bump, because we spend ten straight minutes of Nicolas Cage doing really good voiceover work as he is repeatedly arrested over the years, serving time with the same convicts in the same prison, having his mugshot taken by the same police officer. I really I really love that relationship throughout it's this great. entire sequence of just like him coming in, seeing her sad and going like Oh what happened? What happened? <laughs> yeah. Like their entire relationship and it doesn't even like fill in exactly what happened. Like he invites her around his house and then he goes to years for prison and all the rest of it. And it's just it's really sweet. And and then like when she you know she's crying one of the times he take she takes his picture and he's like oh what happened and you know her a man ran out on her and he's like I will kick his here's my address and it's the fucking prison I'll be waiting for him and then he like slips a ring on her finger one of the times when she's fingerprinting him it's it's super charming um, she definitely shouldn't marry him but still it's charming. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they want kids, and they can't have them, and and he describes it in a very, <laughs> like, like oh god, I can't remember how he does it. He's like talking about her uterus as if it's like a like a rock face that is inhospitable, and, and they endeavour to steal one of the five quintuplets of uh, of Nathan Arizona. The Arizona family, which which uh, later on in the movie they kind of reveal we're in a very similar situation where it feels like they were just kind of like doing in vitro or doing like all kinds of stuff to get her pregnant and then when she got pregnant she got pregnant with five fucking children. And yes. Obviously this shit happens and you get people who like give birth to multiple babies at a time and stuff like that. But it mm-hmm. it's still insane to me to think that like you see a pregnant woman and they've got a child inside them and you're mm-hmm. like boy how could you fit a child inside you? And then there's like, I have five in me. <laughs> or, you know, the famous octuplets that were born once. I'm sure somewhere that has been beaten. But, like, yeah, I don't know biologically how that happens. I mean, obviously, obviously they're all smaller than a normal baby is. But there's a certain point where I'm like, surely you have to, like come up with some mechanism to carry around mm. eight children. Yes. Like like the human the human spine could The human animal cannot do this. <laughs> yeah. Like um, I know it happens frequently in like in cats and stuff like that where they obviously give birth to litters, but like yeah. human being pregnancy is not built for Well yeah, like you say, some women get absolutely fucking huge off one baby and it's like, <laughs> how are you fitting more than <laughs> Also, these I I know they're not like newborns. These babies are monstrously huge. Um, just <laughs> yeah, I assume this is like the laws of where they were shooting the movie. It's like we cannot have a baby less than like six months old or whatever. So shove a fucking two year old in a nappy, and we're like, oh, that's a baby. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, they're fucking huge. Um, I don't know if they are actually. Is it the same baby that they've just like CGI'd or what? Because they do look identicalish. I guess they're not supposed to be identical, but like, yeah, they look very similar. I don't know if they just cast five babies of the same description, but giant, giant babies. Nathan Arizona, an incredible character. Yes. <laughs> to jump around. His rant at the FBI when they're like questioning him. 
his wonderful stuff. Um, just just getting just so angry with them, and and you know at one point he calls them the federal bi, and it's just just all these weird little. He's like the ultimate like Coen Brothers. Well, you know, there's a lot of ultimate Coen Brothers characters in this movie, or archetypes that they're obviously going to play on so many times in their in their career and stuff like that. But this guy's got that kind of like the brashness yeah. that really sticks out. It's weird that they didn't work with Trey Wilson again after yeah. this. Obviously, he seems he very died. in their wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, he dies before Miller's Crossing comes out, so he mm-hmm. dies like two years after this movie apparently. So 1989, he dies. But in that time, in between Raising Arizona and his death, he gets in performances in like Bull Durham, Married to the Mob, Twins. So he's like just fucking working, and yeah. then obviously passes away. And I have to assume he would have become a Coen Brothers regular, yeah, like because he fits in so seamlessly into this. And then he says the sentence: "If a frog had wings, it wouldn't bang its ass on the ground when it hops." <laughs> like I don't know how to real. A real southern proverb, <laughs> or something they made up, but it's fucking perfect. Yeah, he's really good. It's just this like furious salesman, um, this guy that is always on when he's giving his his media interview when they're asking about his kid being kidnapped. He like throws in a sales pitch at the end. Oh, I still can't be beat on prices. And... I love when they ask him for his real name, and he's like, "Of course, my name isn't Arizona, but I'm not going to sell furniture." I can't remember what it is. It's like high. I, it's something with an H and he's like yeah. you're not going to buy blah blah blah's unpainted furniture are you? I love that they ask you know is there any truth that the baby was taken by a UFO and he's like don't print that my <laughs> wife will give up if she reads that <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not that. because it's unrealistic exactly it's yeah. like, my wife will take that definitely seriously if she exactly. thinks an alien sold the baby and only one baby <laughs> yeah yeah just a perfect Coen Brothers character. But yeah, I mean, H.I. McDonough. You know what? I adore, I, I adore the fact that his name is Herbert I. We never find out what the I is. Ignatius is my guess. Oh, you really guess it's Ignatius. Herbert Ignatius McDonough. Yes. Boy, what I said, that's a great southern yeah. name. H.I. Um, McDonough, a.k.a. I love, Hi. A I wonderful that, name. I love that some people call him Hi, and I love that some people call him H.I. John Goodman is, is steadfast and always and only calling him H.I. He yeah. never calls him Hi. And then his brother. Um, and again, we talked about ridiculous names. Gail Snotes and Avell Snotes. Just Hall of Fame weird names. Uh, yes, his brother calls him Hi. He calls him H.I. Most people call him I. Have we done John Goodman on this podcast before? If we, ha- I don't think we have. He is one of the finest actors <laughs> ever is, to he, do it. Yeah, he is, he is someone who, like, he is just consummate professional. One of those guys who have never heard anything bad about. Nope. Obviously, he's had, like, his his troubles over his career and stuff like that. Like, he's, he's dealt with... Um, uh, I, I can't remember if it's drug addiction or or, or, or alcohol addiction, but he's, he's had his, is, yeah, yeah, he's he's had his like really bad issues, and there are some like he's apparently been sober since two thousand seven, hmm. and yeah, like and and so much of this is just like even he's, when he is clearly capable of summoning an incredible amount of primal rage for his performances. So if it ever came out that he had like a massive temper issue, I wouldn't be shocked, but. I yeah I don't. But it feels like it feels like like so much of Hollywood has like banded around him to just kind of like get him to stop drinking and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and like I you hear. Well, the I mean, if you like... work on Roseanne for so long, of course you're gonna start <laughs> drinking. Like, you know. uh, still, if that's still genuinely doing... where he developed the habit. I he's feel still bad. doing Connors at the moment, and obviously, okay. I think I think the alcohol stuff has come up in the Connors and all the rest of it. And mm. I, I'm I'm happy that he's getting a paycheck. But obviously, the Connors is one of those weird things where like. 
there's so many fucking good actors on that show where like that is a show that exists in in 2022 where john goodman Hmm. Laurie Metcalf, Sarah Gilbert, and Katie Segal are like <laughs> regular actors on that show. Oh wow! Obviously, yeah. Katie Segal is like a fun little bit of meta casting up against her role from Married with Children and all the rest yes. of it. Yes, but... yes. Which most famously, probably as Leela from Futurama, and then when they do, they let her be her character from Married for Children. Nobody who watched Futurama got it. <laughs> um, very funny to me. Um, but yeah, no, you, you bring in John Goodman and it does not matter how ridiculous the role is, he will give you a fucking performance. Um, you know what fucking sucks? What? Never be nominated for an Oscar. Tragic. Genuinely. Possibly possibly the most iconic, well-rounded like career body of work to mm. never be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. And like obviously, like every every so often, someone gives him something. Like I remember, there was a little bit of stuff around like Ten Cloverfield Lane that was like, "Ooh, can we get him a supporting actor nomination yeah. for this?" Yeah, but yeah. the Academy Award just doesn't like genre stuff, and I don't think that movie hit big enough for them to like take it seriously. But he's fucking great in that. Yeah. And I think is... I think a problem is he is often he's a very generous actor, and he often accepts supporting roles. And like... oh yeah, you 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 look at stuff where like he's in. Two best picture winners mm-hmm. in in kind of the twenty tens. He's in the artist and he's in Argo. Yep. And both of those roles are very much like he is not flashy. He is not taking yeah. up the he, screen he time or anything like that. He's ceding the floor to like other actors and like he has incredible work throughout his career. But like it is difficult to pick that one signature performance other than I mean, Flintstones. Obviously, I mean it probably um, it probably would have to be Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah, but and I but then you like got the, Jeff fucking Bridges next to him, so like. that's the thing. But he could get supporting <laughs> nomination for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I look at some of the other movies, and like, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's just like he's great in Speed Racer as Pops Racer. Like, I'm not saying you get an Oscar nomination for that, but like, just the exact level of commitment to a role that you need when you're doing an adaptation of such a big, broad anime thing yeah. um in flight where he is like the drug dealer <laughs> and he shows up to sympathy of the sympathy of the devil is. <laughs> incredible and obviously that is james that, franco who <laughs> that is the role he takes in the middle of community is that where, why he's like i'm going through some stuff and yes. he's got a ponytail yes incredible. That is, it's, it's his he's getting ready for flight and all the rest of it yeah which... co- that community run as vice principal as the vice principal the head of the air conditioning repair school when he yells at the dean and you just see jim rash just like just <laughs> want to disintegrate when he raises his voice at him so good so so good you know he's had you know he's he does plenty of tv um he has he has worked with one aaron sorkin many a time i believe he got an emmy out of studio 60 that his sheriff character that just fucks with did, them all he did that, that's the only bit i really remember of studio 60 <laughs> yeah that's the those are the famous two episodes where they are like stranded at a diner at the mercy of this local sheriff who is just fucking with all these like hollywood fuckers but no, he's an incredible actor. I love, Whenever he turns up, I'm just very, very happy. Um, he has got a Disney Legend Award for his voice roles in The Emperor's New Groove, Monsters, Inc., The Princess and the Frog, and Monsters University, which is, of course, well-deserved. Yes. As he yeah. is a Disney legend. He is a Disney legend. Sully rules. Yeah, but I mean, <sighs> this is a... You could argue it's a kind of showy performance because it's so idiosyncratic, but like... He's kind of just a guy who just yells a lot um, and amidst this wonderful ensemble. But yeah, the the Snotes boys are are pretty funny. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I, I like Forsyth. I, I, I'm just my my affection is so firmly for Goodman over his career and just getting to see him do stuff. And Forsyth yeah. hasn't hasn't had the same kind of career that like my level of affection. Yeah, kind of like gets to that point. Yeah. So I mean, you know, just to to bring it slightly back, you know, you've got Holly Hunter as Ed, um, wonderful actress, and just seeing her slowly her life changes she keeps taking these photos of him and then like when you know they're blissfully happy at first in their as they call them salad days uh and then when she finds out she's barren she just descends into depression quits her job as a as a police officer and is just a broken woman who consents to them stealing a fucking baby like they just hold hands they have the idea in unison yep <laughs> and then just immediately manically screaming that she loves this child the second she holds him and then, yeah, them attempting to be these parents and trying to put on a show of being these good, proper people as they have over uh, Mrs. Cohen, Frances McDormand, and Sam McMurray as Glenn. Frances McDormand, as she always does, just waltzes in and is like, fuck you, I'm going to 11. And then you have to deal with the fallout of the energy of the movie because I've taken it all the way up to here and now you, no one can match me. So never mind. But she's, she's great, as always, fawning over the child. Is that literally her only scene? Like, just, she rocks up, fawns over the child, and is talking about these, what is it, like the diptet or something? Diptet. I think that, that she's she's in a lot of scenes around that point, but, like, yes. it really is just the extended sequence, but, like... You have to imagine the, that was, like, a day for her. Yeah, but, yeah. and, like, Sam McMurray is the focus of so much more of that, because, obviously, Sam McMurray's doing the stuff in the mechanics shop, and then yes. he's doing the stuff here, and then he obviously comes back later to kind of do his thing, where he's like, you're fired, and... Yeah, yeah, when he learned, when he figures out they've kidnapped the kid, and, like, blackmails right. so, him. So, my question is, and obviously, obviously, this is a heightened world, but mm. I have, and, and obviously, high is not the most intelligent of, like, labor laws and stuff like that, but if you went to work and said, yeah, the guy who fired me tried to sleep with my wife, or, like, <laughs> Tried, tried to, like, to float with the idea of swinging with my wife. No, but it's America. You can fire anyone for anything. That's true. It's they a lot don't. They don't have any kind of. Yeah, I do really love that. Like, so he gets a job drilling holes in sheet metal, and yes. he's talking about in his salad days. Oh, it was great. Like, I actually enjoyed my job. And then he's like, but then it wasn't so good. And even something as sim- a simple pleasure like my job, and the scene is exactly the same. <laughs> Of just this guy telling him the exact same story. I, I, I it's really, I really am interested by like because basically, like if anything goes wrong, his gut instinct is to just like just go steal something. So right, I mean, like we're just gonna jump around. The the plot is 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 paper thin anyway. Oh yeah, I mean like what the 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 Roger Ebert quote on this movie is essentially like the film stretches out every moment for more than it's worth until even the moments of inspiration seem forced. Mm-hmm. It's breezy though. Like it, it, it's... it's so breezy, but it's like every single sequence is kind of like an extended 10, 15 minutes. And I love it because it's full of so much like, and again, this is Pauline Kale says it's like full of rambunctious charm. There's so much charm in this and everyone mm-hmm. is so committed. It's just, it's, it's a really nice watch, but it really is just kind of like four or five extended set pieces yeah. of like, here's the prison bit. Here's the you bit can... where they steal the baby. Yeah. Here's the bit where they get proposed to be swingers. Here's... <laughs> It's the convenience store rampage. Yeah. Um, You could almost see a world where those first 10 minutes up to the title card are like, it's like a short film for a tra- for a movie that doesn't exist almost. Because like you get everything you need from that montage. But yeah, and like his, his temptation to keep robbing convenience stores, which he promises to give up once they get that baby and once they are married. And like he does hold down that job and like, you know, 
ends up owning a suit and he's a good family man they're visiting doctors they're visiting adoption agencies but then one day when when you know nathan needs some huggies and he, he holds up he this convenience even, he doesn't store. even think to like pay for them no Obviously, he's been, obviously he's been fired, but it's just one of those things where it's like he doesn't even like make any attempt. It's just like, yep, I'm gonna steal these, I'm gonna get back in my car. And my but question it... is, how bad were his previous robbery attempts? If this is the one he gets away with, because he doesn't, there is no elegance to this. The guy presses the silent alarm immediately, <laughs> and like, you know, there is a cop and a and a gun wielding cashier ten feet behind him as he just runs. And he just runs for an extended period of time, is you know, point break what as they are like running through houses and down tight alleys. Also, as he points stuff. out, also as he points out, he doesn't have any bullets loaded in the gun, so it's like yeah. it's almost like suicide by cop he's going for <laughs> at a certain point. Because surely this is how they've gone multiple times over his over his. Yeah, like, he robbery. keeps not getting done for armed robbery because he keeps robbing convenience stores with unloaded guns. So he does like twenty months instead of. I don't know what it is for armed robbery. Ten years? More? Um, God, who knows? There's probably some state where it's like death penalty or whatever, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, these, he's just running. And he just looks real happy to be running. And like, you know, he, he's just running around through people's houses, through gardens, over fences, through fences, to I mean, another like, convenience store. Now there's 20 dogs. This is the kind of shit that I'm, like, I'm comparing it to like the Raimi stuff. If Raimi had like a, a credit on this, whatever it was, I would not be surprised because this sequence right here feels like yes. such high energy. Like even even when you think of like the, the Coen Brothers comedy movies later on than this point, none of them are as frenetic as this, I don't think. No. Like they're quite often a lot more in the, quite... in the dialogue and quite like whimsical yeah. almost in the way that they're phrasing stuff but you don't get this just kind of extended like they like every... to really luxuriate and drag out some quite banal stuff and, and this is this is so high high tempo and like manic in a way they aren't normally and like to cap it off with it because like ed is furious and like drives off and leaves him there to run around and and almost get killed like six different times then she she goes back for him and they drive their, at high their, speed their and argument, he picks up the huggies off the ground, the original. Yeah, their plan. argument their argument where like she's just like they're having their argument and every so often he'll say, Oh, turn left here, turn right here and stuff <laughs> like that is so good and so reminds me of arguments that I've actually had with my partner where it's like we still have do, to get somewhere. We like. still we still have to do things in the middle <laughs> of this. So like we're gonna we're gonna make our points, but then we're gonna go like oh actually wait, no, like change the tone of your voice and just kind of like point out like <laughs> that we need to do something together as a team in the middle of it. And just, it, again, it's, I'm not saying it's like a really healthy relationship that the two of them have, but it is a relationship with a deep foundation of love that like, yeah. and you can feel the chemistry between the two of them throughout yeah. the entire movie. And I just, I just, I adore Hunter in this movie. Yeah, I think yeah. she's so she good. So at, good. Cause she, she gets to do so many different things. Like, like obviously she gets to be funny. She gets to be forceful. She gets to just be incredibly sad. And she yeah, gets I... her shit back together to like when the when the when the Snotes take the kid and like you know she has a kind of return to original Ed almost. Also, in this giant chase, it feels like it's for comedy how much the cop is opening fire, but then also like points wildly at the last ten years of footage of policemen being uh, what they are. Anyway, yeah, so all that is going on. The Snotes break out of prison in this incredible, much-parodied sequence where 
John Goodman emerges from the mud, just roaring like a like a monster. Just an, incre- an incredible introduction to any character yeah. to then reach into the mud and pull your brother out by his leg. <laughs> Pulls him out by the ankle, bursts from the shit immediately. Like all the pomade as well, uh, like just just slicking their hair back as much as possible. Yeah, they steal a car and they rock up at highs and. Hi wants to hang out with them, but Ed doesn't approve, obviously, because she may not be a cop anymore, but they have literally escaped but also, like, from if they, prison. If, also, like, they've just stolen a baby, yes. and if anyone finds them, then they're obviously going to be aiding and abetting criminals if they have yeah, them at yeah. all. Whatever. This is getting real bad. <laughs> like, yeah, like, there's too much, there's so much shit going on in their lives, and I love when they get back in from, like, the car chase, mm-hmm. and the Snotes are just sat around, and, like, it's like the entire house is made of beer. Yes. There are so many beer cans. Yeah, and, just and beer like, and cold cuts and like like leftovers and yeah. Um, I, I look around. And I'm like, that is like twenty four beers each for the two of you. And I, yep. I, I'm like, how are you standing? How are you? Able oh, to Good, Goodman's enormous, isn't it? Like he's tall as well. Like, oh yeah, no, Goodman, Goodman can do it, but I'm not sure William <laughs> Forsyth could throw back as many. Beers no, as... but I'm saying we're, we're talking like two thirds split Goodman's way probably. But no, yeah, so they're. These two fucking degenerates are hanging out at their house to to evade the law. Ed wants them out, and and you know capers are happening back and forth. And they then talk HI into a into a bank job. And I like that he's like, I know you prefer convenience stores, <laughs> however, and and I love that little like. Now I believe most relationship dramas stem from money. Is that correct? Like I did just lose my job. I was like, well, there you are. There. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we'll go rob this bank together. He he goes for it. He writes her a dear John or a dear Ed, I suppose. <laughs> this this long long letter where he's just resigned himself to like I'm shit. I, all I'm good for is stealing stuff. I'm not a good man. I can't be this like grown up responsible human for you and the baby. I will just send you money from afar and let you hate me. And it's all very like because because Hi is kind of an optimistic guy for the most part and like he is oddly the one that is trying to keep them both reassured and together it's just once people start a merp at first it seems okay with them and the baby but then when other people start popping into the equation he just starts to unravel <laughs> like he's just not made for it uh meanwhile he's having prophetic dreams about his own future as ghost rider as Randall Tex Cobb plays Leonard Smalls, this just ridiculous bounty hunter who has wandered in from a Sam Raimi movie. <laughs> yes. Just covered in dirt and chains and tattoos and, and a gold tooth. And he's got like little ornamental baby shoes hanging off his waist. I, I'm just like, is that because of a, like your child? Is that a child that you like tried to get a hold of? I, I'm fascinated by the baby shoes. Yes, it, it's very weird, but... Yeah, this guy, yeah, high dreams about him blowing up rabbits with grenades and shooting lizards and, you know, that he's coming for them and it's all going to be fire. And then he actually genuinely does track the snotes to their trailer, hears the baby crying, approaches Nathan, Arizona, tells this incredible little story. It's this perfect little character. You know, it, it's played way more for laughs, but like... You can see how that then becomes Anton Chigurh. Anton Chigurh, or you know, I know they didn't make the TV show Fargo, but like, obviously Hawley is riffing so incredibly on their style. So you know, like Lon Malvo, like he, he, he's a little bit more. He's got his shit together, but he's well, still like this Anton, like 
Anton Sugar isn't supernatural in the same way that Lord Malvo is, mm. and I feel like they're, t- they're taking the kind of the supernatural element from Leonard Smalls a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, that, that is that the heightened supernatural bounty hunter that does crop up across the Coen Brothers yeah, yeah, yeah. is definitely something that like is being riffed on and I'm sure if you went through like influence by influence on Fargo and stuff like that you'd see like just little tiny bits coming from all kinds of movies mm. what I really want is Fargo to do a full Big Lebowski type <laughs> like that's that's the one thing that Fargo hasn't done yet is like they're all the crime movies of the Coen Brothers and I'm like now nah, I want you to do your laid back like just stoner hanger comedy for a season <laughs> well there's that season nobody's seen and, and there's a new one coming so maybe yeah, it, yeah that, one with John Hamm one with Jesse Buckley yeah Funny they combine those together yeah there you go but no like so that's all going on and like the fact that High has these like really heightened dreams including the end which just after all these like shenanigans for it to end in this kind of like I I fucking love because obviously, like, the movie ends, they give the baby back, and they just want, like, a little bit more time with it and stuff like that. Yeah, and, yeah. and Nathan Arizona's just like, I'm sure... I'm Nathan sure is so guys... fucking chill about this. I think, because I, I think he looks at them, and he's just like, they're I not doing it. this, they're yeah. not doing this maliciously. Like, they, they just want a kid, we've got five, we, we understand it, because we went through this. Yeah. They've done the right thing in the end. Yeah, and it's gonna... just that, like, he leaves them there with it. It's like, they took it, man. Like, I know yeah. it seems like they've come to this realisation, but... Yeah, and like yeah, and then and watch it, and then he tells him to sleep on it, and then yeah, like he has the prophetic dream again, and I just love that it's like the movie isn't gonna say that their lives are good after this. They're not gonna say that like they managed to get through the they get through the infertility issues and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But like, this is a life they could probably have. Yeah, like dreaming of of like just watching Nathan grow up from afar, Nathan Junior, um, from afar, and like they dream of the giant table of grandchildren and and. You have. I assume that is actually. I don't think they turn to camera, but that... no, they they never say that the elderly couple is like. And now I'm in the point of view of like a an elderly couple and their families coming around for Thanksgiving. Like it, it's it's yeah. only implied to be the two of them. And from the silhouettes, it very much does look like Hunter and Cage. That's definitely Nicholas Cage. I assume it's also Holly Hunter. But yeah, and and then like for it to end with him saying, "If not in Arizona, somewhere else," and you you assume it's going to be like a metaphor for like you know maybe in another lifetime. It's like. Maybe Utah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect ending. I mean, yeah, it, it's what the Coen brothers do well. I mean, yeah. obviously, like, it, hell, it's funny that this dream ending lands in a way for a lot of people that the, the dream ending at the end of No Country for Old Men doesn't. And obviously, It works for me better. Like, like I had my issues with that one. As we, as we argued about, um, like, three years ago, <laughs> two years ago, whatever it was. I don't know, yeah, it just lands a lot better for me because there's, like, more of an emotional heart to this. Yeah, um, no, no, weirdly, absolutely. Given absolutely, it's so yeah. ridiculous, and it's not an adaptation. This is entirely from their heart. This is not them adapting yeah, the book yeah. of someone else who is notoriously kind of like cutting you off from from satisfactory payoffs. Like the yeah. fact that like all of the conclusion of No Country for Old Men is done off screen. Yeah, is yeah, yeah. All, um, all of it. Yeah, but you know, along the way, like <laughs> I, I, I love in this scene where like he thinks of like all the. Like he sees Gail and Navelle going back into the ship pipe, yeah. And then the only the only other one is like he sees Glenn getting ticketed because he keeps <laughs> on making the Polish jokes, and he's pulled over by like an officer Kowalski or something like that. But also, he's terrible at the jokes. I know, yeah, because they're so stupid. Get it? No, like Glenn. Glenn is <laughs> Glenn is really funny in that. Like one, he's like just over. Like, 
the the open swinging thing is just so funny, and I can't tell if it is just like the Coen Brothers like one take the piss. I, I it, but then to the fact that he's just so bad at making jokes as well, he's just yeah. making him like deeply, deeply unpleasant in being completely yes. unaware of anything that he's doing. Good and then and then are we are we gonna do? the full suite of like what this final action set piece is, which is basically all of this shit converging. When yes. So the, the Snopes, the Glenn, Snopes... Glenn rocking up and like loudly accusing them of stealing Nathan Jr. The Snopes are indoors and hear all of this immediately turn on high. They have this comedic brawl where like, you know, he's grazing his knuckles on and we all know that like that textured ceiling. Um, where... Oh, that, yeah, that, ugh. Yeah, and like, you know, you've got a guy pulling his arm back to punch and he breaks the window by accident. They're just destroying this double-wide trailer, uh, throwing each other through <laughs> through walls and shit. And then, yeah, the Snotes take the kid, fall in love with it, and are like, we can never leave this baby anywhere ever again. <laughs> this, is, this is Gail Jr. now. Very then, funny then, them just... But then proceed to leave the baby behind... Twice. Twice. Yes. Um, like, we screaming the whole time. Just, I don't know how he has the lungs for it, but yeah, just screaming and screaming and screaming. I love the payoff to the joke of like Avell telling the guy at the convenience store that like they're not going to pay for the petrol and count to yeah, count like to a, a thousand. A repeat of the like not even considering paying for it. Like, they go through this like perfectly pleasant interaction. He's like, okay, time to pay. Out comes my gun. Obviously, the smart thing he's done there is he's gone for like a not high-tech, well-lit convenience store that's probably going to have these precautions in place and gone yes. for 70-year-old man in the middle of nowhere who's just selling gas or whatever. That They are more successful at stealing from convenience stores than High, who's the specialist, is very yes. funny. Um, and they twice get mileage out of this joke of like telling a cashier to get on the floor and count, and then the camera cuts to just like a counter with no one behind it while you hear the dialogue. Um, yep. of the old man continuing to talk as we do this shot reverse shot with no one there and then they do it like when they get to the bank and like everybody on the ground and they're like everyone, where are the cashiers we're on oh, the ground everyone, everyone freeze and get on the ground well which one is it do you want us to freeze or do you want us to get on the ground <laughs> yeah both very very good um, but yeah i love i love when they come back to get the baby and the cashier is just like well they've gone now i can like get up and yes like, because kind of... because he constantly is like you've got to count to this really high number and i will come back and check and it's like, why are you continuing to count when as soon as you've heard him drive off? And then he does get back up, and they're coming back, so he gets back down on the ground, keeps counting. Yes, they twice leave the baby on the ground outside of the car, and have to, like, at high speed come back and, and get it. Yeah, the second time, obviously, they've robbed the bank in between really badly, as we said, so good. They get the blue ink explosion, and then High and Ed just... just... <laughs> easily just oh i mean it's it's one of my favorite themes of the coen brothers movie is like everyone is kind of realistically competent and incompetent yeah even if they're bad at one thing they're probably good at something else and yeah. so you end up with these moments of like they can be good at one they can be good at robbing this convenience store bad at robbing the bank and then when they run into ed and high like just punked <laughs> yes exactly and i like that so along the way obviously ed and, and high have really talked it out and basically, she's like, I still love you, but we're getting divorced now. And it's not because of what you've done with the robberies or the baby. I've just realized we're the same and we're both shit. And if we're both dragging each other down, what good is that for either of us? And it's like, it feels like a very grown up and human reflection on a relationship kind of thing. Rather than like, 
you have done this one unforgivable thing, I will leave you. It's just kind of like, it, it's that moment of clarity for her. And that that is happening amidst this dumbass heist with this baby constantly just sitting in a car seat on the road. And then we have this insane biker man rocking up to have... To just kick the shit out of Nicolas Cage for ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, again, this is this like, like Looney Tunes esque. Just yeah. like let's just beat each other up. I mean, it ends with them stealing a grenade pin. Yeah, while he's got him close, he pulls the pin out of one of his grenades. They also do this moment where like they have the same tattoo, and it means nothing. But you're like, oh, oh, that's because you 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 are waiting for them to like do something where it's like a Martha moment from BBS to bring this episode full fucking circle. <laughs> yeah, um, and. And like, and then nothing happens. It's like, are they related? Like, what is the reason for it? It's, it's such a weird red herring of a gag that almost works in how much of an anti-gag it is. It's it's a it's like a red bird, so I assume it's meant to be the Arizona Cardinals logo, I but it, it doesn't Woody look Woodpecker. like it. Maybe it is Woody Woodpecker then. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, is Woody Wood is Woody Woodpecker from Arizona? Show me Woody Woodpecker's birth certificate. Nicholas Cage was drawn to the role because of Woody Woodpecker. Being oh an enigmatic my actor, god. <laughs> being an enigmatic actor famed for his unconventional performance method, it's no surprise that Nicholas Cage would be fascinated by a role that he likened to the sort of frantic cartoon Woodpecker. <laughs> Cage is quoted as saying that he saw the character as a kind of Woody Woodpecker come to life, an outlaw version of Woody Woodpecker. I j- <laughs> that. Yeah, there you go. He's easy to understand. <laughs> He's not a complex performer Imagine, Imagine you're working with with Nicolas Cage and you're the Coen brothers and you're sat there and like and then Nicolas Cage comes in and says like yeah I'm gonna play this character like Woody Woodpecker or like, imagine being Holly Hunter and John Goodman and, and, and Francis McDormand and you're sitting around and it's like oh you know what drew you to this he's like Woody Woodpecker <laughs> oh alright <laughs> I wonder if the Coens put in the tattoo because he came to them and was just like right just to let you know yeah. My my entire basis for this character is going to be Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> Imagine if he did like a Woody Woodpecker laugh at some point. Oh god. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've completely broken you. No, down. Yeah, they... I mean, yeah, I like you have this like just incredibly dangerous human being scooping up the baby, putting it on the front of his motorbike, like playing chicken with Holly Hunter, like. And then they're doing this chase where he's just driving his motorbike through the bank and people are, like, rolling out of the way. And and then Nicholas Cage just whacks him with a fucking floorboard or whatever. And then, yeah, just kicks the shit out of him until he pulls the grenade out and just blows him to shit. Yeah. Lots um, of explosions in this movie. Yeah. Like, probably the most explosions in a Coen Brothers movie. I, I would have to say assume. so. Yeah. I probably. have to I have to assume that like when you are like in your twenties or whatever it is when they're making this movie. <laughs> you want to blow shit up. You just want to blow shit up. Like you've like you've been given like here's five and a half million dollars and you're like, wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh can we have some pyrotechnics maybe? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's it really. And then as we said, they they give the child back and have their little dream sequence and, and that's it. Like it's it... it's it's a slight movie mm. and I can completely understand anyone coming away from it and kind of being like, I'm not sure what the point of this is or it feels too slight or anything like that. But if you just kind of let it wash over you, this is just a hugely fun... I mean, we, we really haven't discussed kind of like where it sounds for us in the Coen Brothers. I have to assume you letting it on the list, this is like... Letting I'm, it. <laughs> I'm, I'm the Coen Brothers fan more so than you are. Yeah, I I like really like the ones I like. Right. <laughs> and I don't love most of the rest. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of my favourites, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's, it's such an easy watch, but it is... It's kind of simultaneously both a 
weird outlier in terms of like it being early on and feeling kind of like prototypical in terms of where their comedy movies are going to go from this point, but also just so many of the archetypal things of their entire career are in this movie. They're they're easy to riff on because they like what they like and they do it well and they do it all the time. And, oh, I uh, I, mean, I just I love here, them. Like for it to be all of I haven't seen Blood Simple, but for it to all be here in their second movie is is very funny to me. That like this is the same stuff they're doing in True Grit, which is theoretically being played straight like thirty years later or whatever. Very funny. <laughs> well, even True Grit's got some. Yeah, I mean, stuff. none of their serious stuff is fully... There's always something funny going on, but, like... I, I genuinely think the bottle scene in True Grit is one of the funniest scenes of the mm. 2010s. Love them, love them. I think this was, like, a relatively early movie for me in terms of, like, when I was watching the Coen Brothers stuff. Like, I think this was one of those ones where it's, like, it's just playing on playing on film four or whatever it is. I'm just like, yeah, sure, I'll sit and watch Raising Arizona. I love No Country for Old Men. I'm a cultured 15-year-old. And then you get this. <laughs> It's so good, and I I praise it for being short. <laughs> it is definitely short, but I think we're done. I think we are. Cool. Um, that means that means we're in wrap up mode, which means I'm going to introduce the next movie that we're doing, which is it is 102 minutes long. So uh, Matthew, you don't you don't have to be too upset about another long boy. <laughs> Never upset about a long boy. Um, no, yes. Yeah, we're doing we're doing 97's Robocop. Uh, a return to Paul Verhoeven. The gift that keeps on giving. Genuinely saw somebody the other day say uh, something to the effect of what happened to good old-fashioned, politics-free action movies like Robocop. Yeah, <laughs> they were, they I mean, were being some, genuine. Someone literally did like a, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse suite, and one of them was like Iron Miles Chong going like, you're going to be one of those people who says Robocop's a political movie, aren't you? <laughs> and you're like, if you watch Robocop and don't think it's political, I don't know what to tell you. The Crazy <laughs> Dutchman is one of the most political directors we have going. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. Watch, sure. I'm trying to now think if I'd seen Benedetta before I before we did Starship Troopers. I don't think I had. And boy, Benedetta is a fucking movie. Horny lesbian nun movie where Jesus shows up sporadically throughout the movie to murder people. Well, that sounds great. But, that does sound great, uh, but we're doing Robocop next we week. Are doing so, Robocop. so I have to ask you one question now yeah. to finish out this episode. Matthew, will there be movies? There will, but we are unfortunately going to have to watch their football games in the stands like creepy people uh, and just watch them grow up from afar. And maybe one day you and I can just be in a house full of movies. Maybe in, Raising in, our own babies. Maybe yes. movies together. <laughs> Raising our own movies together. Generations of movies. Uh, it may have to be some other place. Maybe Utah. Hopefully not Utah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I ever want to go to Utah. No, no offence to Utahians. No offence to Utahians. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. It did it for so long. Still, I didn't know. And I did it for.